Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. In 1952, there was a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick. And Florence was an incredible swimmer. In fact, she had swam the entire English Channel back and forth. And she had quite the reputation And one day, she had a crazy idea that she was going to swim in the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island and swim all the way to the shore of mainland California. When she would go, this is not like swimming in a swimming pool with laps. This is swimming in the Pacific Ocean. So there are all kinds of things that you cannot control. For one, the waves and also the weather. And on this day that she decided to make this swim, unfortunately, the weather was not good. It was cold, it was raining, and there was this immense fog that came up in the middle of her race. It got so bad by the time it was mile 15, when inevitably she would have been able to see the shoreline, she looks up and all she can see is a wall of fog. Can you imagine being in the middle of an ocean, swimming and not being able to see the shore? In a moment of desperation, although she had trained and although she, had, she thought she was ready for this, she felt like because she could not see in front of her that she could not finish the race, and so she gave up. Later on, they asked her about the, about the journey, about the adventure. She said this, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. The story we're reading in the scriptures today is a story about a storm. It's a very visceral story, a story that's very action-packed, and it describes a scene really well. But when you're in the midst of a storm, oftentimes that's the only thing you can see. In the same way that Florence could only see fog in front of her and couldn't see the shoreline, I think the disciples felt something similar. In the midst of the chaos, they couldn't see who Jesus was. Now, We've been in the book of Mark, and we're going to be finishing chapter 4 today. Before we look at what the text means, I want to take a moment to set the scene, because this is a very uh, visual scene. And if you notice, in the first line of our text, it says, that day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. It's important to note that when, when it says that day, Mark is insinuating that this is the same day 
that, that follows all of the teaching and parables that Jesus had been doing prior. So this past week, when we've been studying the parables and looking at the things that Jesus said, Jesus has gone a full day of teaching, which might be why he needed a nap. Another thing to note is that when it says he's going to the, he wants to go to the other side, he's referring to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's likely that he was teaching from the boat, because if you notice, it says that he left the crowd behind. So I want you to imagine the scene. The Sea of Galilee is a, is a fairly big body of water surrounded by mountains, or like hills, these cliffs, okay? So imagine Jesus standing on a boat teaching, and the cliffs are kind of like a natural amphitheater. But as evening comes, he realizes that for for whatever reason, the the text doesn't tell us why, but he wants to go to the other side of the sea. Now, this is significant because the Sea of Galilee is not a small body of water. It's, It's eight miles by 13. And so for them to go all the way across the sea is not a small journey. And scholars would suggest that the boat was probably 20 to 25 feet long with a few oars, maybe a sail. We don't know for sure. But to go eight miles without an engine would have been a significant journey. And then in verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. What's also interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that it is 683 feet below sea level. And when you think about that, in light of the fact that it is surrounded by these hills and not far away is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 square feet, you've got a 10,000 feet difference, which is a recipe for quick and aggressive storms to swell up. And this is still true to that region today. In fact, there are some signs near the Sea of Galilee that say, do not park your car here because if there's a storm, it might float away. Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples? Being out in the middle of a body of water and seeing the wind and the waves pick up and the rain coming down and your boat beginning to sink. You see, there's something about being in the middle of a storm that does something to us. Now, Kansans, I found out, are kind of crazy when it comes to storms. I didn't grow up in Kansas, but when I moved here, uh, it was funny, there was a tornado warning and uh, I'm thinking, oh, I should probably be in the basement. I need to be hiding and be in the duck and cover position and all these things. And uh, the sirens were going off. It was the sky was turning orange. And I look outside and all these people are standing on their porches watching the storm. I thought that was crazy. And in fact, I have this memory. Uh, we were driving home. It was my senior year of high school. We we're driving home from a tennis meet. And my tennis coach is like 70 years old, lived in Kansas his whole life. And he's driving, and I look, there's the tornado. I'm getting texts from my mom, there's a tornado. Um, the sirens are going off. It's terrifying outside. And I look to my left, and in the field next to me, I see a literal tornado. It wasn't a huge one, but it was definitely a cyclone spinning in the field. I'm like, coach, there's a tornado right here. Like, what are we going to do? And my coach is just like, eh, we can outrun it. And then slams on the gas and drives forward. I'm thinking, this is cr- these people are crazy. Now, not everyone has that attitude towards storms. Typically, when someone is in the midst of a storm, it creates a fresh anxiety. There's a a fear associated with it because a storm is something that you cannot control. 
It's something that you cannot contain. It is something only that you can try and hunker down and survive. And so imagine the anxiety that the disciples are feeling while their boat is filling with water. They're probably taking buckets and scooping the water out of the boats and trying to get it afloat, and the boat continues to sink. I would assume that there was a genuine fear for their life. And with that, they're, they're in the boat with the person who they've been walking with on a day-to-day basis, a person who's been performing miracles, who has just a certain authority about him. And so I'm sure they're thinking, in this moment of great fear, where is our teacher and why is he asleep? So they wake up Jesus. And Jesus, in the midst of all this, simply says three words, quiet, be still. It's a simple phrase in contrast to a powerful and chaotic storm. And in this moment, Jesus is demonstrating his incredible power and authority over creation. Tim Keller in his book, A King's Cross, says it's like he is speaking to an unruly child, and that child is completely compliant. And then, in this story... This crazy, chaotic, scary storm changes on a dime. The wind and the waves obey him. It's not as if 20 minutes go by and the storm slowly fades out. In an instant, the storm is calm. And we have to understand is in the ancient times, the sea and, the, and the, the ocean was considered something that was so uncontrollable. It was something that was so unknown that it was almost seen as something that was evil the symbol of unstoppable destruction. And yet, Jesus has total authority and power over this chaos. It's in the same way that Jesus said that I'm not just here to instruct you to take a rest, but I am rest itself. I am Lord of the Sabbath. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I'm not just a person with power. I am power itself, and I am Lord of the storm. So here's what I want to do. This morning, I want to look at the three questions. There's actually four questions, but one of them is kind of a two-part question that are asked in this story. And then what I want to do is look at what's underneath these questions, because whenever a question is asked, there's, there's usually a motivation behind the question. And I think that will reveal some things to us this morning. The first question is this. The disciples ask him, do you care? And this is a question that goes straight for the heart, because I think all of us can relate to moments in our life where we feel like we are drowning. The storm may not be in an actual boat, we might not actually be in a hurricane, but we might be in an instance where it feels like we are drowning. How many times have we experienced this? Perhaps we feel like we are drowning in our insecurity. Or we feel like we are drowning in, in financial debt where it's one car payment after a medical payment after something else that comes out and we say, how are we going to pay for this? And it feels like we're drowning. Or perhaps our marriage is on the rocks and it's one argument after another argument after uh, almost feeling like we're waging war against one another instead of being in a healthy marriage. Or maybe it's crippling fear and anxiety. We feel like we're drowning, like there is somehow a storm in our soul, where we say to God, Jesus, do you care? Do you see me in my hurt? Do you see me in my pain? 
And in this moment, it's almost as if it feels like God is sleeping. You see, I think beneath the question that the disciples are asking is this. Beneath it, they're asking, if you loved us, we wouldn't be about to sink. And Jesus responds to this in a form of a question. He says, why are you so afraid? And I think what the disciples were thinking were, we were afraid you didn't love us because if you loved us, you wouldn't let us drown. And in this moment, Jesus confronts their thinking. He helps them understand. He says, I do allow people to go through storms. There will be times where you experience in this life pain and suffering, and storms will come your way. Apostle Paul says this, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It's this idea that the Apostle Paul has faced opposition. He describes it as a fight. It was difficult at times, but in the end, I made it to the other side. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. This brings us to our first truth this morning. We don't serve a God who doesn't allow storms. We serve a God who promises to be with us in any storm. That's why in John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. It is through trusting in Jesus that we have access to this peace that transcends all understandings. And that's what makes the question, why are you so afraid, so important? Because it's followed by another question. Do you still have faith? Do you still have no faith? You see, in this moment, Jesus is not just addressing their feelings, he's addressing their faith. The disciples were so quick to forget all that Jesus had done, all that Jesus had said who he was. In this moment, they were so forgetful, and they are so afraid that it's paralyzing. I think about that for our own lives. How often do we, too, soon forget? My son's love language is not to give each other hugs, but to wrestle. Right? That's how they say, I love you. And they love to roll around on the ground wrestling like little bear cubs, Um, And I like to join in that action sometimes. But there's always a moment when they're wrestling, when they inevitably cross the line of being, this is fun, we're wrestling to, I want to hurt you, wrestle. Maybe somebody pulled hair or stubbed a toe. And then I have to come in as the dad and say, okay, boys, now we need to be nice to each other. We We can fun wrestle, but we can't hurt wrestle. And then I make them hug, and then they inevitably start wrestling again. Three minutes later... I hear them fighting, so I go over, I have to explain to them again, and so on goes the cycle. I think sometimes we are like children in our forgetfulness. We are told the truth about who God is. We're reminded again and again of his faithfulness, and yet in the moment of a storm, in the moment when things are out of our control, sometimes we forget who God is, and we cling to the wrong things. In the chaos the disciples forgot who Jesus was and what he had said. This leads us to our second truth. It's that God's truth, not our feelings, anchor us in any storm. God's truth, not our feelings, anchor us in any storm. I remember back to 2015. It was an interesting year for me. 
we um, had our first son, Pierce, and uh, it was also the time we bought our first, our first house that we lived in. It was uh, a house in College Hill, small two-bedroom, 700 square feet, just enough space for a small family. And what I didn't know at the time was there, there were a few problems with the house that we weren't aware of until one week when it began to rain nonstop for seven days. You may remember that spring in 2015. It just rained and rained and rained. And for one, we had a leak in our roof, so there's water dripping into our living room. So we've got a big bucket in our living room that's catching all the water. And two, our basement begins to flood. And we had just moved. So you can imagine all kinds of cardboard boxes. There were um, bo- boxes of clothes that we had yet to unpack and all kinds of storage that we had yet to deal with getting soaking wet. So I'm having to carry all this stuff up from the basement to the main floor. Boxes are breaking because they're soggy from sitting in the water. And the whole thing was a nightmare. And we had to live with our house smelling like mildew, and, and, and it was just not a good, good week. You compound that with the fact that I was in finals week for one of my seminary classes. I was writing all these papers. And then the worst part was that my oldest son, who was not, not very old at the time, got sick. And he got so sick that we had to take him to the ER and get some tests run. And the doctors, in fact, he had such a high fever, they wanted to run a spinal tap to make sure that nothing else was wrong. And there's something about this whole situation of being in the midst of this chaotic home at life and then dealing with the fresh anxiety of seeing your youngest son be sick and not knowing what to do that Betsy and I just felt like we were helpless. And it was in this moment where I think we could relate in a sense of what it's like to feel like you're drowning. That all we had was to be able to pray. And it was a prayer of saying, God, look, we're drowning right now. We're drowning, but we know your word is true. Your word says that you are near the brokenhearted and you comfort those who are in distress. Your word says that you are a rock in our refuge in which we can stand. Even though right now it doesn't feel like that. And those were the kind of prayers we were praying. It was we know the truth that we can cling to, but right now we feel out of control. And here's the thing about praying those prayers is it doesn't always magically get better right away. In fact, our son didn't get well the next day. It took, it took a, about a week for him to really recover from everything. The uh, water didn't magically dry up. We still had to get the shot back in there and suck it all out. It took time, and it was still a little bit like we were in the middle of a storm. But what it did was it acknowledged to God the reality of our pain. It was like saying, there's an anvil on my heart, and if I keep focusing on the anvil, I will go down. And we have to, in this moment of experiencing this this turmoil, trust on your promises and trust in who you are. It's saying, Jesus, you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of the valley of death, and although we grieve, we do not grieve as those who are without hope, but instead we fix our eyes on you. Friends, it is God's truth, not our feelings, that anchor us in any storm. Pascal was a a French mathematician and a Christian philosopher, and he said this, it is a glorious ride on a ship in stormy weather when one knows it cannot go down. 
In other words, leads us to our third truth. If you're on a boat in a storm and you know the boat is not going down, it changes your perspective. There was a martyr in 167 AD named Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the same guy who wrote the book of John, who walked with Jesus, uh, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. And he pastored on his time on earth and did all kinds of ministry in Jesus' name. He had the reputation of being a really humble guy who came from a lowly status, was also really witty with words. And towards the end of his life, when he was to be murdered for his faith in Jesus Christ, they brought him to the stake where he was going to be burned alive. And in the face of that, this is what he said. He said, 80 and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? Bring forth what thou wilt. Friends, I think we can only say something like that if we know that the ship is not going down. His life was going to, going to end, and he knew his life was going to end, and yet he still was able to say, come what may, because he knew the ship wasn't going down. He saw something larger than his own death, something bigger, a bigger kingdom at work, a larger resurrection that was to come, and in that faith, he was able to say, come what may. Now, there's something profound in contrast. And this is the part of the story that I think is the most interesting. You see, in verse 41, there's a shift that happens. After Jesus calms the storm, so imagine they're in the boat. Imagine the waters are calm and they're, they're now no longer afraid of drowning. But yet the text says, after that, they were terrified. How interesting that they go from being afraid of the storm to being terrified. What are they terrified of? You see, their fear shifts from being terrified of the storm to being terrified of Jesus himself. A few interesting observations here. One, Jesus didn't call on a higher authority when he spoke to the wind and the waves. He simply rebuked them and spoke directly to them. It, is, it wasn't like he said, in the name of, and then rebuked it. He just spoke directly. And this is one of the themes that we see in Mark over and over again. It's demonstrating Jesus as king and that he has authority and power in the world. Number two, it speaks, he speaks to the wind in the ways as if they were a person. In fact, the same word for be quiet was used in Mark chapter one when he rebukes the demon. He says, be quiet, which suggests that there is some sort of evil in the water, which leads to the third observation, and that's for the, the sea, for the first century Jew, was seen as a tangible force of evil. It was seen as this unstoppable force of chaos and unknown. It re- represented unstoppable destruction. And so he's thinking, he, the disciples were thinking, he just stopped the unstoppable. He just managed the unmanageable, the thing that we thought was uncontrollable, he controlled like that. You see, the disciples wanted Jesus to behave a certain way. They want him to say certain things, and they want him to act away in certain scenarios, but Jesus is constantly surprising people because he cannot be controlled. He cannot be managed, and that's as true then as it is now. 
The reality that Jesus was unmanageable is what caused him to be terrified, which leads us to the final question. Who is this man? If Jesus is power itself, if he is Lord of the storm, if he is unmanageable, and we believe that in our heart and in our gut, then I think we too can say, come what may, because we know the boat is not going down. We can say whatever life brings, we're going to be okay as long as we have him. But too often I'm afraid that we equate love and what it means to be a follower of Jesus with safe and predictable. There's a great quote at the end of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the kids are talking to beavers, believe it or not. And the girl Susan says to one of the beavers, he says, who is Aslan? Is he a man? The beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And he's the king, I tell you. I think the same for us when we think about Jesus. It could be likened more to being on an adventure than to being on a comfy vacation. Because while God certainly is good, doesn't necessarily mean our life is always going to be safe. The story is not just a story about a miracle, but it's a story about fear and faith. You know, after Florence Chadwick failed to accomplish her goal, she really struggled for the next month and a half. She struggled with feeling down like a failure, and she vowed to never swim again. But then one morning, something struck her, something changed in her, and she said, you know what, I think I can do this. But this time, I'm going to go into it with a different mentality. And so she, what she did was she says, every time I get to a place where I feel like I'm going to give up, I'm going to have this mental picture of the shoreline that I'll put in front of me and say, I can go just a little bit farther to reach the shore. And so she decides to try again, two months later after her original failure. And so there she goes, after Catalina Island, she begins her journey. Unfortunately, the weather was similar. There was a fog, it was cold, it was windy. But every time she felt like she was about to give up, every time she felt like there was no way she could finish the race, she had that mental picture of the shoreline and she told herself, as long as I can go to the next moment, I can make this and I can finish this journey. The good news is, Florence not only finished her journey, but she broke the men's record by two hours in an incredible feat that go down in history. The reality is this, friends, that storms in life will come. It's not an if, it's a when. And there are going to be moments when we look up in the midst of them and we may see nothing but fog. We may see nothing but the fear that the storm brings in itself. And it's in those moments that we need to remember to be relying on God's word not our feelings, because it's God's word what anchors us in any storm. And we need to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world and because he has overcome the world, we know the boat isn't going down. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are Lord of the storm. And there are times where it doesn't always feel that way. There are times where we feel out of control, times when we feel lost. We pray it's in those moments that we would lift our head and look up and be reminded of who you are, that your promises are true, that your word is true, that we can stand on your truth. So what I pray for anyone in this room right now who's walking through a season that feels like they're drowning, they feel lost, may they know that Jesus is near, that the Holy Spirit is present in their life and that they're walking alongside anyone in this room as a fellow believer who wants to walk alongside them. So I pray for healing and hope. But I pray for these gifts and these offerings. Would you bless them to do far more than we could ever imagine? It's for your beautiful name. Amen.